It is my pleasure to bring to you the Word of God, and it is a pleasure that I want to thank this session for again. Once more, let us turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to reread uh, just the very beginning of those verses. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. May God bless the reading of his word. I will call your mind again to last week when we spoke about the covenantal relationships being the thing that we see portrayed here in the scriptures. God's covenant with his people to save his people, working all things toward this point in history. As Paul writes in Galatians, at just the right time, Christ was born to a woman under the law, to save those under the law. Whenever we look at the scriptures, we want to look at what the scriptures are showing us and teaching us about God in the first instance. The scriptures are given to reveal who he is in his character, in his personality, in his attributes. And so whenever we come to a part of scripture, our first question is, what does this passage of scripture teach us about God? He is the largest context of all that is said. My family grew up with me always saying that it's about text and context whenever you read the scripture. It's not just the individual verse before you. But it's the context in which it appears and the context in which that context is presented. God is the context of all of the scriptures. So whenever we read anything, we see what it portrays us, teaches us about who God is, what God is like. For God is the author of what we read. In this passage, we again see a married family. We've seen the portrayal of Zachariah and Elizabeth in their marriage. We've seen Joseph and Mary in their marriage. We have another marriage portrayed, although in that case, Anna, her husband has died and she is a widow. We don't know about Simeon. But we see again this, these families and their ordinary going about everyday life coming to the house of the Lord whether to pray as with Zacharias, to attend to the sacrifices as with Zacharias, and those who are gathered in the altar of incense while the prayers are being offered. And uh, there was one point I meant to make last week about that, and I neglected. And that is this. You do not have to raise your hand on this one. Um, how many of you have not wanted to pray? You just didn't feel like it. You, you, you were just spiritually dry. 
and it wasn't in you to pray. Now, if we were honest, I would imagine that everyone, at least over, I'm going to say over the age of 30, is going to hold up their hand for that one. We've all had that common experience. And that's okay if you feel that way. But we, there's a remedy to that, and it's a God-given remedy. And the remedy in the Old Testament was come to the temple, gather at the time of the incense when the prayers of the saints are being offered with others who are praying. And because when others pray, and when the word is opened, and when the word is read, there is a spiritual response that comes from our hearts as a result of the working of the Spirit using God's word. And that is that we too reach out and call out to God in our praise and our, when we're singing. And that will lead to a revived prayer life. In our day, that solution would be come to the house of God, to the worship of God. When the word is read and when it's proclaimed and when it's explained, when God is proclaimed, when God is explained and you begin to see that here is God you've come to see, it is God you have come to meet with, then you will be stirred up in your inner being to praise him, to call out to him and to pray to him. If you have a season of dryness about reading the word of God, again, the solution is gather with God's people around his word. Because as it's read, you can't help but take it in as a child of God. It's, it's like eating food. I'm not hungry. Go ahead, try some. I'm not hungry. My wife says, ready to eat? Would you like some supper? I said, I'm not hungry yet. Guess what? She goes out, she fixes food, and all of a sudden I'm hungry. Look at my profile. It shows. Anyway, as we look at this passage today, I want you to note something. That is the law being observed. Here we have a godly family, Mary and Joseph. Their child, the child who has opened up the womb. Now we know a whole lot about this child. And they know that this is no ordinary child themselves. Mary knows because the angel has told her that this child is going to be the savior of God's people. You and I know that because we get to look from this side of the cross back to that event. And so we're seeing all of that in that perspective. But here they are, an ordinary family. They come to the house of God here to present their child as God's law required. That this child would be seen as holy unto the Lord. One of the things we do with a baptism, you might note last week, we ask every Parent, do you acknowledge that this child is a gift of God entrusted to your care? The child is not just your child. You're a steward of that child. The child belongs to God. And we acknowledge that in the sacrament of baptism. And in the presentation of Jesus in the temple, Joseph and Mary, they're acknowledging that. Along with all the firstborn sons of Israel, that the child belongs to the Lord. Children are a heritage to the Lord. 
Though sometimes we may greet it as bad news, it should never be greeted as bad news by the church that a child is expected. The church should rejoice at that. And they should pray for the child from their earliest days on. We see covenant faithfulness here. God being covenantly faithful to Mary and Joseph. By God's word, Mary was given a promise. The promise has now come true. The child is now in her hands. She is now bringing the child in response to that covenant faithfulness of God, being faithful in her own right, bringing that child to the temple of the Lord to present that child to the Lord for his service. We see covenant faithfulness and we look at that as we see that take place. God's covenant faithful shown to his couple and that couple responding in covenant faithfulness to, by bringing the child to the house of God. And we oftentimes hear how the law is a burden. That the law of God, the requirements of God, the ordinances of God, they are a burden to the people of God. Please note what we read here about the two turtle doves and the two pigeons and go back to Leviticus chapter 12, which we read earlier. Why was a sheep commanded, but here two turtle doves and two pigeons are offered? In the law, it says itself, if they are too poor then let them bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. God's law accommodates the need of his people. God's law is merciful. God's law is the embodiment of kindness. God's law is not cruel. That's my point. God's law measures us he knows us he knows our frame he knows our circumstances and he has made a law in such a way that if we were poor there was that poverty is no barrier to relationship with him as God he is a God of the poor as much as he is a God of the wealthy in God's eyes there is no partiality In God's eyes, there is no division. We see them, you and I, we cannot help it at times but see them. We may even give thanks to God for those divisions. I give thanks to God that I do not live in poverty. I I tell people there's some habits I have and I tell them it's because I grew up poor. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure me out sometimes. All you have to know is I was... Raised for 10 years in an orphanage. That colors your outlook in life. It does. It can't help but do it. And so guess who is, I want to say this in the nicest way I can about myself, but guess who is very tight-fisted about where money goes? Guess who's very careful with money? I married someone who's careful, but I'm, you ask my family, they'll tell you. It's just, it's just, it's in the genes But 
I'm thankful to God that I am not poor. And I would say this also. Because of that, it is sometimes easy for me to be generous. Um, I trust that I am. I try to teach my children to be generous. And I know that they have been. Because that is what God calls us to be. Because that is what God is. God is merciful. God is kind. His law is not cruel. In his law, he made accommodations for the needs of his people. There was a poor man's offering is what he provided. And that reflects the very character of who God is. That reflected, that's reflected in his holiness. What does Leviticus teach us about God more than anything else? Holy is the Lord Jehovah. The whole law is to teach us all those codes about holiness. It's to teach us that we are sinful and God is utterly holy. And that in our approach to him, we must deal with our sin. We must, there must be a mechanism put in place. There must be a, a thing that is done that takes away our offense, that takes away our sin, that enables us to be presented as holy before the Lord ourselves. Now, in the ancient church of Israel, that system was a sacrificial system. Blood was spilt again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Year by year, you would make a trip to Jerusalem there to observe the sacrifice for sin for the nation. And don't you think by the time you went there and it's the 40th, 40th trip, the 50th trip, you might begin to ask yourself, why are we doing this again? And that you might come to the conclusion that the blood of the rams, the blood of the sheep, was not getting the job done? That there had yet to be a greater sacrifice for sin? One that would be perfect and without spot and without blemish? That would take away the sin of God's people once for all time? That was the intended lesson of that sacrificial system in the temple. And with the coming of Jesus, we, in about oh, 30 years or so, we're going to hear him say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people are going to hear that and they're going to know they're going to stop following John the Baptist and they're going to begin to follow Jesus. And they will stay with Jesus until his ascension into heaven. The sacrificial temple system, the ceremonial system, was by God's purpose, by God's design to teach his people concerning their sin that the blood of bulls and goats, rams and lambs would not, would not do the job. That there would have to be the one perfect lamb that would have to come and do it. We see God's character displayed in all that law of holiness, of righteousness. 
And how displayed in that is our separateness from this God. And we learn in that system that he has put up in a place whereby we may still, in spite of our unholiness, in spite of our unrighteousness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our offenses, we might yet approach him who is holy beyond all compare, and we might enter into his presence. And we might do so with joy, singing, and dancing. Because he has provided a way for us. And all of that system pointed to, ultimately, what that way was. And that way was this child now being brought into the temple and presented to God as his own child, which in he actually was. For he was the incarnate Son of God. That's a big word, I know. It means simply this, carnate, it, he got a body. He was the very Son of God, God of God, true God of true God, True light of true light of one substance of the Father. And added to that divine nature, he took upon himself a fully human nature with a physical body. And became God incarnate, became God with us. And from this we learn our God has skin in the game, so to speak. You want to know the love of God. You want to measure the love of God for the love, the, the love he bears to his people. Look to Christ. And there you will see how great was the love of the Father. And that his son is the one who sheds his blood for their sin. We jump forward and we look into Hebrews. And what do we find there in that temple of God? What priest serves in that temple of God pictured in Hebrews? It is a great high priest of all high priests. It is Jesus. And Jesus enters into that most holy place in that temple of God, in that tabernacle of God. He enters there with the blood of the sacrifice that was perfect. And whose blood is it? It is his own and every sacrifice in the temple before that, every instrument of worship, every aspect of sacrifice, sacrifice and ritual that was in that temple, it's picturing Christ in this work that he does once for all time, as Hebrew puts it. So it never needs repeated. It never needs redone. It is perfect from the beginning. The first time he does it, it is accomplished. Simeon knew something of this. The Holy Spirit had promised him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. I'm not saying that Simeon understood everything there was to understand about Jesus the Messiah. I'm not sure he understood the full implication of the incarnation. 
I'm not sure he understood uh, the full implication of the uh, hyperstatic union between Christ and the believer. I'm not sure he understood how he who was eternally gone, in his, that he was self-existently God the Son, how he, according to how Paul puts it in Philippians, how he emptied himself to become a man incarnate. I'm not sure he understood all that. Or how his death could have a transhistorical application from the Garden of Eden to the last child, covenant child born when he's coming again in the clouds. But he understood that in this child was the salvation of God. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the temple, a spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now let you are letting your servant depart in, pre, in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He beheld the child, and when he took the child in his arm, and he beheld him with his own eyes, he knew that this child was the salvation of God's people. He had been promised to see that before he died. And when he's waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, notice where he's not. He's not over at Herod's temple, or Herod's palace. He's not over at the court of the Sanhedrin. He's not at the high priest's house. He is not in the marketplace. He's not at the gate with the elders. Rather, he is in the courtyard of the temple of God. And how do we know it was a courtyard? Who's there carrying Jesus? Mary. That's as far as she could go in her day. And he takes that child out of, his, out of her out of his mother's arms, and he acknowledges this is the salvation of God. I'm not sure theologically how much he had it upstairs, sewn together tight, and you know, just really, if you know what I mean, just really good understanding of the theology. I mean, he could, he could nail us on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Larger, shorter catechisms as well. Maybe even kill us on the... Uh, Heidelberg. I'm not sure if he had all that squared away. But he knew from what God had promised him, what he would see, and when he saw it, he knew. Here is the salvation of God. It is accomplished in his eyes. Simeon was looking for the Messiah in the only place the Messiah could be found, and that was the temple of God. For all the work of Jesus, 
all the work of Jesus was pointed to and, uh, and all the work of Jesus fulfilled all that was pointed to in that temple. Simeon sees it and now he's ready. Now I can depart in peace. My heart is full. I've seen what you are, are going to do. There's going to be some history working it out. Another 30 years of living in the presence of sinful men. Another three years of teaching in the nation of Israel. Only to be rejected. Only to be crucified. Only to be buried. Only to be raised again from the dead. Only to ascend into heaven. There awaiting for the coming again as king. All that was yet to be. And for us, all that has occurred except there's one yet thing we wait. And that is the return of that king. He knew, he understood that in this baby, a real baby. I mean, this isn't some, uh, you know, uh, unreal baby, you know. This was a real child. And he was just like us. I mean, he had fingers, he had toes, he had ears. You know, I played with my grandchildren. I said, ears, nose, mouth, teeth. We do all the things. Eyes, they like poking my eyes. You know, they do all these things. He was just like us. Except he was without sin. Can't imagine that. Truly cannot. I mean, I've never met a perfect child. I mean, all, I have nine grandchildren. Boy, are they sinners at times. I mean, there's a preacher I love him. His name is Vody Bachman. If you ever were on the doctrine of depravity, original sin and babies, listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. They truly are vipers in a diaper. I mean, original sin knows how to show itself in a child. He has, a, he has some great humorous lines that really, you've got to listen to him. If you want to kill some time on the internet, and I know you all do, if you want to kill some time, look up Vody Bachman and watch him. Original sin, depravity, vipers in a diaper. Any of those uh, titles should get you what I'm talking about. As we look at this, we again see God's character. God's character is to provide witnesses for himself. God's character is to provide those who will tell others of what he is doing. Everybody else around Jesus' temple that day, coming into the temple, did not know what was about to happen. The Holy Spirit had promised one to be his witness and to be his messenger. And so he sees and he proclaims. And there's one other who hears him and what he says. And I sort of suspect this, although I do not know this. I'm going to do what I call Bob's holy speculation. Because I have to say it that way because I always tell the people, I always told people, do not speculate about the Bible. You cannot speculate about the Bible. When you speculate about the Bible, you're not going to get it right. It just kind of works out that way. But I'm going to speculate. I know. I'm inconsistent. Beat me up later. 
I kind of think that Anna had to know about Simeon. I mean, if she's there day and night in the temple and had been for 80-some years, she had to know about this one who the Holy Spirit had told would not die till he saw the Lord's Messiah. Because I kind of suspect that that's not something Simeon would have kept to himself. You know, he would have learned in the temple there were those who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. But what did Anna do? As soon as she hears what Simeon says, what does she do? She starts running around and telling everybody else about Christ, who, everybody else who is waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the redemption of Israel. So we learn from these two servants of God that here is the salvation of God. Here is the consolation and the redemption of God's people. They didn't have to know about every single way it would be accomplished. Dot every I, cross every T. They knew that in Christ was their salvation. In Christ was their redemption. That he was the Messiah of the Lord. So when he is presented there, we have the record of Luke, the historian, about how that played out, that we might ourselves, as it were, this side of the cross, so we get a whole bunch more information than they had. But we are called alongside Luke and the others to bear witness to what is taking place. So that we too are presented with the Messiah of God. We see the law observed. The law is preserved in such a way that it's not a burden. If you are tempted to think the law is a burden, remember here. Remember this. At this point, there is no burden in the law. God accommodates the needs of his people. He shows mercy in that. Just as he shows mercy and kindness in the presentation of Christ himself. Behold, the Savior of God's people, Jesus. He is there that we might, as it were, take him in our own arms. Behold him with our own eyes and make him our own. Let us pray.